Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. So glad that you're here today, the 11th of August in 2022. And we are uh, just a few weeks away from really getting into campaign season, hitting pretty heavily with that. Uh, Please be keeping your eye out for, I promise you, before Labor Day, you will see Roger's recommendations up. And I have to go through all the propositions here in California. And also, I'll look at the ones in Colorado as well and make a few recommendations of my own. I can't speak for Wyoming. I know we have a few listeners who make the commute into Colorado every day. Thank you, Laramie. Thank you, Cheyenne, for representing us here. But uh, uh, we'll do the level best we can. And I stick with the propositions on those issues because, quite frankly, those are the ones where we can have the most influence. I mean, the elections and your individual races, I rely on Craig Huey with electionforum.org and um, also My Faith Votes, Jason Yates' group, myfaithvotes.org, and also ivoterguide.com, just three of the many outstanding resources available for you to casting your vote uh, in the election this year. Make sure you're registered. There's still time to get registered and qualify for being able to vote in the uh, actual election, the midterm election, which has the official ballot date of November 8th, but um, you can vote early, depending on where you're listening to us. So I encourage you to do that. Hey, the reason I bring up the voting thing, I know we usually talk about that on Tuesdays, Super Tuesday. But this hour, I want to talk about discernment and I want to talk about creativity and imagination, if that's okay with you. Um, Here's the reason why. I'm concerned, like a lot of people in my generation, that younger generations are losing two things. They're losing their ability to discern and they're losing their ability to dream. Now, think about this for a moment. We do what I like to call analysis, balance, and clarity segments here on the Bottom Line Show. And there are actually five parts of that uh, equation. Analysis is get the information. You know, get as much information as you can. Realize that there is a bias in the media that wants to show you a couple of pictures and a seductive headline and get you to think that if you just follow what they're doing, that's all you get was having dinner with my folks uh, last week. And I know my, my folks are big CNN users. They like to uh, watch that TV and they get things on the internet. They get emails and things like that sent to them all the time. And because of their penchant for their political party of choice, they oftentimes only see just one side of things. And again, they, they I learned analysis, balance, and clarity from them. So I mean, <laughs> growing up in that home, it's probably to the point now where we say, hey, we're 89, this is the way we're going to vote. That's fine. But when it comes to looking at the issues the way they are, any of us has to be a good enough detective to say, first of all, I want as much information as I can get, not to the point where you're overflowing to you're kind of overdoing it on that, but as much information as I can get. That's number one. Number two, then is the issue of, well, um, is it from more than just one angle? It is so easy. I don't know if you've been watching any of uh, James... Uh, this is James O'Keefe with Project Veritas, who's been getting all sorts of undercover intel on a variety of different sources. And again, I always take it with a grain of salt for two reasons. First of all, um, he's trying to make a name for himself just like anybody else. And so there's a lot of, I, I stopped getting the emails to say, coming up tomorrow, we got a big announcement, big announcement. And they keep teasing you with it. And finally, they'd make the announcement that they'd already made on other social media. And the big announcement was, we want you to support our company financially. But number one that number two oftentimes his big bombshell explosion always has or seems to have one key source of this is the leak this is the guy at google the woman at facebook whoever it is and after a while i begin to understand yeah that's what they're saying and yes i do believe that there are algorithms in place for facebook and google and others to skew information to where they only give you one side is positive and the other side is negative i mean heck the mainstream media doesn't hide anymore look at the january 6th commission Were there crimes committed? Well, these guys aren't the court, so they can't actually try anybody. They got a lot of people's hopes up on the left that Donald Trump's going to prison because of what they did in the January 6th commission. Are they doing in a committee investigation? Well, there are committees that investigate things all the time on Capitol Hill. They just don't usually get televised in prime time. But what you'll notice here, and this is where the ABCs break down for them, is are they doing analysis? Yes. Do they have a lot of information? Absolutely. Is there balance? And that's where the question is answered, no, there's no balance. It is a Democrat witch hunt against the Trump administration. And if it were a Republican witch hunt against the Biden administration, I'd say the same thing. 
No one is allowing any kind of testimony with regard to what did Nancy Pelosi know? What about the videos? What about the video surveillance? Why were so many of the cell phones wiped clean by the Justice Department? And who's responsible for that? I mean, was it wiped because the Trump administration on the way out, it's Watergate too? Or is it possible, is it possible that the FBI got a hold of this? and said, hey, let's get rid of all this stuff so we don't leave any condemning evidence because maybe, just maybe, there might be some phone messages, some emails, some text messages that were sent on behalf of Madame Pelosi and her minions that incriminate the Democrats in this case. I mean, th- this, the balance part of the analysis, balance, and clarity is huge. And it's the reason why I, I'm not suggesting, I'm not saying, well, Donald Trump didn't do anything wrong, so therefore I'm not watching the hearings. I'm not watching the hearings because it's a circus. I mean, it's a, it's a, what they call a kangaroo court. There's no balance there. There's no both sides. There's no rebuttal from the defense. There's, uh, there's all we're getting is one side evidence. And oh, by the way, we have Adam Kitzinger or Keitzinger and Liz Cheney. Those are your quote unquote Republicans who are on there. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. But it's interesting because the analysis part, get as much information as you can, balance, make sure you're looking at the way it's being reported on from every different angle possible. Not just, this is what I like and here's another one that confirms what I like. That's what we call a confirmation bias. Oh, well, you're a Republican, so then you must think. Oh, you're gay, then you must think. Oh, you're a Christian, then you must think. But then there's the clarity part and the clarity part is huge. Now we sift through all the data and we look at the different sides and ways of reporting it. And we look at where the, you know, what the Venn diagrams are, right? You put all that stuff together, start drawing the circles to see where the consistency is and to eliminate the inconsistencies. And that's where you get clarity. Okay, this is what we're really dealing with. I was talking to Pat Boone the other day. Pat's going to be on the bottom line next week to talk about a movie that he started recently called The Mulligan. It's a great golf movie, using golf as a metaphor for our faith in Christ and salvation and everything. And The Mulligan, named after Mr. Mulligan, I can't remember his name, David, something like that, Scottish golfer who rather famously one time started out playing around and the first tee just completely shanked it. Whiffed, horrible, in the water, lousy. Looked at his companions and said, hey, can I try that again? They said, sure. As long as you let us all have another shot at it every now and then. Sure, that's fine. And so in golfing lingo, that's the super short version of it. In golfing lingo, a, a mulligan simply means you get a do-over. You get a chance to make it right. It, it's a great metaphor for our faith in Christ, where God gives us mulligans in areas where we sinned and we can ask for forgiveness. And then the ultimate mulligan, of course, is salvation by grace through faith in him. But you look at you know that, that story. Pat and I were talking. I told him, you know, the program's called The Bottom Line. He goes, oh, I love that. He got it right away. He goes, you're getting to the, what's the real bottom line. And the issue, of course, is salvation. And the, he got it. I'm like, thank you, Pat Boone. 88 years old, you got it. But we want to get to the bottom line. We want the clarity on the different issues. And then the next two steps, which we've been introducing gradually to you over time. You go from analysis to balance to clarity to discernment which means that once you know that ABC process, then you can look at the issues of life through the lens of scripture and you can discern which is of God, which isn't of God and how to approach certain circumstances. And then finally, the E part of the ABCDs is edification. You have now been educated, you've been edified, you've been exhorted if need be, and you and I both. That's, that's the journey that we're all on. And God has us on this journey with other people helping us along the way. So toward that end, I wanted to take a look this half hour. We're going to talk about the, uh, the, the edification and discernment part first. Then we'll get into the imagination part second. Because I'm, I'm very concerned. I mean, as the father of six in our blended family, as the grandfather of three and three quarters, uh, <laughs> another little boy on the way at that little gr- uh, grandson at the end of October, I'm concerned in the world that Lisa and I talk a lot about this, about how many young people are being told what to think. They're not even being taught how to just kind of agree and memorize and regurgitate. That There's no playtime. There's no imagination time. And so literally there's no dreaming going on because every step, every waking moment is programmed. You wake up here. Here's a video game. Here's a video a device. Here's something to keep you occupied. And I know I fall in that category too. I don't know how many times I've been in a conversation with someone and I just want to play solitaire or scrabble or something just to take my mind off of how heavy the world can get sometimes. 
But there has to be a way when you're looking at the technology and then you're moving away from the technology, you have to be able to distinguish between opinion and actual fact. And it's no secret that more and more people writing for the major publications, the New York Times, the Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera, are, have, have basically blurred the lines now and they don't even care. You can watch a CNN or Fox News report and they'll just tell you what they think. And then you are supposed to accept it as gospel truth. Remember when the newspaper used to come kind of preloaded? There was the front page. Everybody agreed these were the biggest stories of the day. There was section number two, which was the big local issues. Section number three had the sports. Section number four had entertainment. And somewhere at the back of segment section two or four was what they called the op-ed, the opinion and editorial. Opinion of certain writers making the case for their position and the editorials written by the publisher of the newspaper who had an axe to grind, had an agenda, but at least they let you know what it was. In days gone by, American adults, Christian adults, used to be able to figure out the difference between fact and opinion. But now a new study that was published in QuartzQZ.com It's a new study that was conducted by the Program for International Student Assessment. And the Program for International Student Assessment took a look at the number of young people in countries all across the world and asked them the questions about certain things that were happening. And they looked at their reading scores, what level they were reading on, and then whether or not they could distinguish between what is fact and what is opinion. Roughly 600,000 students in this survey from 79 countries participated. And in one test, they represented, if you're ready for this, 32 million 15-year-olds worldwide. The focus on this test was on reading. It changes every three years, so you don't just get the chance to memorize it. And they took a multi-stage approach. They were asked block questions. And then at the end, they had to do some reflecting on to see what was, you know, they were getting from the articles. Were they picking up opinion from the author or were they getting the actual facts of the case? They could form their own opinions. And the number of 15-year-olds in the U.S. who could distinguish between fact and opinion was appallingly low. How low, you ask? We'll tell you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about analysis, balance, clarity, discernment, and edification with regard to young people And their ability to distinguish between fact and opinion, not fact and uh, fact and fiction, per se, but fact and opinion. The Program for International Student Assessment does tests on math and science and reading, and they are administered uh, internationally um, every three years. So they're getting ready to tabulate the results from this past year. But what we're looking at now is the results from the one that was published at the end of 2020. The top performers, as you might imagine, came from the Asian part of the world. As a matter of fact, when it comes to the share of students with reading scores of level five or above in the PISA test, it's called Program for International Student Assessment, the top countries were in order. Singapore, followed by China, followed by Canada, followed by the U.S., followed by the U.K. But how many of these students actually could distinguish between opinion and fact. I mentioned before the break, roughly 600,000 students in 79 participating countries and economies competed in the last test. That represents 32 million kids who are aged 15 years. And here is what the, let's go to the tote board and find out what they won. I mentioned that the share of students with reading scores of level five or above, which indicates that they actually have the ability to discern. In Singapore, the number of kids who can separate the difference between fact and opinion is 25%. In China, and by the way, that was 15% back in 2009. In China, similar score. It's actually 22%. It's the first time the Chinese kids were actually included in the test. In Canada, back in 2009, it was 13%. Today, it's 15%. In the United States, it was 10% in 2009. In 2012, it dropped to 6%. It's now back up to 13%. 
and in the UK, the number of kids who could determine the difference between fact and fiction went from 7% in 2009 to 8% today. Overall, only 9% of 15-year-olds worldwide can tell the difference between fact and opinion. Only 9%. This <laughs> is interesting. According to uh, uh, Andreas Schleicher, who's the head of this uh, uh, system that does the technology and the programming every year, he said, the world continues to change, but apparently education systems are having a hard time keeping up. Now, it's interesting because here's what they've been able to determine with young people. And if you've ever had a conversation with a young person and their logic seems to defy logic, this may be part of the reason why. According to the report, quote, reading is no longer mainly about extracting information. It is about constructing knowledge, thinking critically, and making well-founded judgments. And yet, the test has been modified over the years to increase emphasis on the ability to find, compare, contrast, and integrate information. The reason is because the students are lacking in the provision here and the proficiency. The six levels of proficiency, by the way, and this is why they talk about, you know, if you're level five or above, the six levels of reading proficiency and the students who scored at the fifth level or above are able, are considered able to separate fact from fiction, quote, or fact from opinion, rather, based on implicit cues pertaining to the content or source of the information. This is key. I'll read you a portion of the test here. Uh, describing proficiency like this, the reader can establish distinctions between content and purpose, between fact and opinion, as applied to complex or abstract statements. They can assess neutrality and bias based on explicit or implicit cues pertaining to both the content and or source of the information. They can also draw conclusions regarding the reliability of the claims or conclusions offered in the piece. Now remember, 600,000 students took this test. 79 countries and economies were represented in this test. 32 million students at age 15 were sampled. And overall, 9% of them could tell the difference between fact and opinion. 13% of American students could do that. Now, pastor, I want you to think about what's going on in your church right now. Mom, dad, or maybe more importantly, grandma, grandpa, you have grandchildren in this age range right now who might be getting straight A's in school. They might be named on the dean's list. They might be getting the principal award, the principal's award for being an outstanding student. But you have to ask the question, what are they learning? What is the measurement? What is the grade? Remember the push on common core education, what, seven, eight years ago? And remember how many Christians were up in arms about it, present company included? Because the goal of Common Core with math, for example, was to say, we want to elevate the grade level expectation so that there's a universal standard nationwide. What they didn't take into consideration is that the majority of students were actually in school districts that were exceeding the level. But there were some school districts that didn't have a grade level expectation, apparently. And so the push was, well, we're going to make sure that everybody graduates from high school having completed Algebra 1. And so reshuffle the deck so that the only goal for a math student in high school was to finish Algebra 1? I mean, don't get me wrong. My sister, who I love more than life itself, was a bad math student when we were growing up compared to science and other things. She did well. She got an A in biology. I got a C in biology. She got A's that she struggled for in Algebra 1A and 1B, where they took Algebra 1 and split it up over two years. And I got an A in Algebra 1 and a high B or an A in Algebra 2. Now, she's had a great successful career in the medical field, and I talk to people for a living. But think about this, though. What we were being taught, kids are being so programmed now to just take a look at what they need to memorize for the test and not even think through what it means. And this is dangerous because now let's apply this to the Christian faith and ask ourselves the question, why are so few people in Generation Z staying with the Christian faith that they're raised in? 
We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Barsley. I just realized during the break, what we're going to do in this final segment here is what students aren't being taught to do anymore. And that is to think rhetorically about what we know logically as it pertains to just knowledge. This new study from the Program of International Student Assessment, 79 countries, 600,000 students, and the assessment that actually speaks for 32 million 15-year-olds indicates that worldwide, 9% of 15-year-olds can distinguish between fact and opinion when reading a news story or an article. 13% of American 15-year-olds can make the same distinction. The high, uh, Singapore, is up to 26%. Yay, Singapore. But the idea that reading should not be mainly about extracting information, but constructing knowledge, thinking critically, and making well-founded judgments is being lost on many of today's academics. Remember, this is, here's your classic example. When we were younger, in the seventh grade, we got the life sciences lecture on how babies were created. We used to jokingly refer to it as sex ed because we talked about, well, we all know it's sex, but they called it life sciences. And there was the talk about how babies were born and et cetera, et cetera. But sex education now is being taken literally by people with lots of consonants after their last names to the point where school districts won't teach it. I think of San Francisco Unified as being the one of the ones that uh, basically, and, and others in the People's Republic of California, where the law is a school is not required to teach sex education, but if they choose to teach sex education, then parents can't object to it. And it's the reason why all those great folks at Planned Parenthood have made inroads into teaching sex education, where they literally teach children different ways to have sex. Now, let's think critically about that for just a moment. When we were kids, we called it sex education. Why? Because, well, it involved the sex act, but it was about human reproduction, life sciences, biology, anatomy, who gets what genes from the father and the mother, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you go to a public school where Planned Parenthood's teaching, they're teaching kids how to use whips and chains and how to be transsexual and biracial, or no, not biracial, uh, bisexual, <laughs> transgender gay, lesbian, all the different types of sex you can have that has nothing to do with human reproduction and life sciences, has everything to do with satisfying your carnal desires. And yet the academics who quote unquote know better than we do say, well, you said it's sex education. We want to make sure kids get a comprehensive sex education. But see, here's the thing. God said you keep sexual expression and limit it to a husband and a wife in holy matrimony, full stop. Any sex outside of that is sin. As to what the husband or wife do once they are in the marital bed, you want to do it as many times a day as you want to or once a month if you want to. You guys get to pick as long as you don't defile the marriage bed. That's entirely up to you. Even God doesn't teach sex classes. The Bible is clear. We know our bodies. These inalienable rights endowed by our creator, we hold these truths to be self-evident that we know how our bodies work. But it's society now that wants to overthink it. It's society that wants to make it about sex and not about holy matrimonial love. Is it any wonder so few children know how to distinguish? I'd like to see them do the same test on 35-year-olds. I'd like to see them do the same test on 55-year-olds to see how many people can distinguish between fact and opinion. I'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. 
Um, I mentioned there are two parts of the component. One of them is, do you have the discernment to distinguish between fact and opinion? But the second is, do you have the dream capacity to get out of the how-to, must-do, check-off-the-box type of Christianity that's so common in the culture today and replace it or return to God's plan A, which has much more to do with dreaming, creating, imagining. Uh, Christian singer, songwriter, and theologian Michael Card is going to join me on the other side of this break, and we're going to talk about uh, a book of his that actually helps us to understand what it means to look at the biblical foundations of true Christian creativity. Whether you think of yourself as creative or not, all of us are created in the image of God, who is the creator, and creativity is a vital expression of our discipleship. So what does that look like in real life? Michael and I are going to have a great conversation about this, I'm sure, on the other side of this break. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, a very special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line. It's always a treat for me, selfishly, to get a chance to, uh, to spend some time with a guy who's had such a huge influence on my life with his music, with his teaching, with his writing. Uh, Michael Card is joining me today here on The Bottom Line from his home studio. And uh, great to get some video and audio with Michael to talk about a brand new project of his, Scribbling in the Sand, Christ and Creativity, which we have up at thebottomlineshow.com. Michael Card, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, hey Roger. Nice to see you. Well, it's nice to see, literally nice to see you too. It's been about 10 years since we've had a chance to you know, get some FaceTime, but I'm well, grateful that we have the opportunity to do this because of the topic that you're dealing with. The, when you mentioned scribbling in the sand, a lot of people who've grown up with you know, Bible stories and things of that nature, we know exactly where you're going to in scripture, but what you do with that starting point, I think is so unique and dare I say, creative. Uh, talk mm. about where the concept came up for you, because you talk a lot about Christ and creativity in your own ministry. Well, I mean, if, if, uh, uh, if the first chapter of uh, John, the first chapter of Colossians, the first chapter of Hebrews, all affirmed that it was through Jesus that God created everything, that he might be a pretty good person to look at to understand creativity. Sure. Right? And not, not only did God create every, everything through him, uh, I think it's in Hebrews that says that everything is sort of held together. So you don't just have to create things, you have to sustain things. And and that is all, all that is accomplished in, in, uh, in the life of Jesus. So yeah, this book is just looking at his life and saying, what can we learn about creativity from the person through whom everything was created? And it's interesting because you start us at a point where Jesus infamous, or famously, I don't want to say infamously, is scribbling mm. in the sand and people have speculated yeah. for years as to what he's actually writing. But you right. challenge us to say, does it matter what he was writing? I mean, there really isn't, let's, let's clear the air here first and foremost, there really isn't any sort of biblical scholarship that says, we know, was he writing the names of all the people or all their sins? It's just he was yeah. scribbling in the sand. Talk, talk about that. Right. Well, I mean, I scribbling probably in the best word i mean it, the, the greek word is kata graphane he's writing down kata down graphane to write he's writing down something and there are you reference the two there are two uh variant readings one one says that he was writing down the list of their sins the other one said he was writing down the list of names and they were seeing seeing him writing those in the sand um i don't think i don't think we know i don't think john thinks we need to know because what he was writing was not the point the fact that he the fact is he was doing something creative mm -hmm. that sort of distracted everyone from this i mean they were about to kill this woman they're about mm -hmm. to stone this woman and he does something sort of odd and sort of creative that that distracts them and uh and he ends up saving her life they all walk walk away beginning with the old ones older ones first and Jesus, only Jesus is left with the woman. It's one of my favorite stories. I think it's uh, it's most it's a lot of people's favorite story in the Gospel of John. This wonderful encounter that Jesus has. Michael Card is with me today here on the Bottom Line, and we're talking about his book called Scribbling in the Sand: Christ yeah. and Creativity. A link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. You encourage us to embrace the call to create. I know a lot of people yeah. are called to do it. Other people, yes. like me, I have no imagination. And I, I appreciate the fact that you dedicated this book to your wife, Susan, who kind of feels the same way. 
Well, uh, I, challenge, <laughs> I challenge you. I mean, I challenge you for saying that because in essence, you're saying you're not created in the image of God. Mm, you're okay. created in the image of God. Uh -huh. That means you have, it's just, you have, a, you know, it, it, I think musical giftedness and writing are, are vastly overrated. I think, I mean, Jesus doesn't write any books or songs. So was he not creative? Mm, I think you look at his point. life and you see that he's very creative in the way he engages with people and challenges people. And I think that's what real creativity, how that's how real creativity is, is expressed. Um, and again, he's the paradigm. He's the paradigm. So he can find a, he can find a way to connect with anybody, even people who don't want to be connected with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so my guess is Roger, that's probably where your creativity lies. You don't write songs, but you know, who cares? Songwriters are a dime a dozen. <laughs> I don't, don't devalue the gift that God's given you. That's for sure. As we no, know. yeah, but no, but no. I but I understand I I understand what you're saying. Well, you, you mentioned something yeah. about the connectedness part, though, and I'd love for you to dig deeper on that. I mean, we, we talk about creativity, and I know a lot of very talented people who are blogging for three and four people a week. You know, I mean, they're just mm -hmm. they're they're putting out art, or they're they're writing, or they're just trying to make a connection. Yeah. That there is that connection yeah. point in terms of creativity. Talk about how the two go hand in glove well you know again it's an expression of our being created in the image of god and um it's it really is kind of a mystery i mean to me all these years i've i've been involved in different creative uh endeavors uh it's still sort of a mystery to me where where that where that comes from you start with a blank sheet of paper and then you end up with a song or a book or uh it, it's kind of a mystery um and, and I don't think understanding where it comes from or, or how it happens is the point. I think uh, recognizing that it's an expression of our being created in the image of a creative God, um, that's all I need to know. Mm -hmm. I'm acting out, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a creature creator, you know, created in the image of God who, who is a creator. And I live that out by his grace. And, and, um, and I really think that's all I need to know. Michael Card is with me today here on The Bottom Line. His new book is called Scribbling in the Sand, Christ and Creativity. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, does everyone have, you have a, a chapter in the book called Recapturing the Imagination. Do you believe that, I mean, I have a son who has one of the most vivid imaginations. I, driving mm -hmm. him to school when he was younger and him telling me about his dreams i just would say jake oh my goodness i mean wow. are you supposed to be very cinematic very theatrical i mean he just yeah he really loves that and then then there's his father and i am the how-to king right five mm -hmm. steps for this three steps for that and i, I i'm watching my grandson now uh, you know live out his uh his five-year-old imagination with uh, mm -hmm. the other day he was over we were watching him and he said grandpa i'm a balloon i said okay and so he said, I want you to blow me up full of air and then I'm going to release the air and I'll just fly out like the balloons do. I said, OK, so I gave him a couple of Zerber kisses on his cheek and he spent the next 10 minutes running around our living room going, bah, you know, blowing the air out. And I thought, oh, I want that. I want yeah. that. Do Is that the kind of imagination you're talking about, Michael Card? Well, I, I think you see it in children uh, when it's unaffected and natural like that. I have a story. My granddaughter. I was, she was hiding from me and I found her, you know, kind of hiding underneath the covers. And she said, I'm a block, build me. <laughs> oh, you know? wow. So same kind of thing, you know. Yeah, uh, I love it. They, they, can't, they can't help but not be imaginative in that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I do think that at some point along the way, I don't know if it's, if it's because of our educational system or, or, or just maturity, that begins to wane as we get older, unfortunately. And you you meet those rare people. I have an 80-year-old friend who lives across the street from me who who uh, his, that part of his imagination has never waned. And uh, Mr. Sullivan, he's a he's an amazing, amazing man, very, very vivid imagination. Um, but again, you know, that, that it comes down to uh, it's part of our image of God. And it's it's also it's also something that the, I think that the Holy Spirit targets. I think the scriptures are written to our imagination. I think the, the, the Bible is trying to recapture our imagination because the world has 
has captured it in one sense, in a, in a negative sense. And I think God is out in a redemptive way to recapture our imaginations uh, because he wants us to use that ability for him. And, uh, and again, not primarily to write songs and paint pictures, but to connect with people and love people well and, and find, find that inroad uh, into someone's heart so we can speak to them about who Jesus is and what it means. Michael Card's great book is called Scribbling in the Sand, Christ and Creativity. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's talk about this, this call to community that you talk about. Uh, we've just been through a past couple of years. As a matter of fact, you and I are having a Zoom conversation, which has kind of become the normal, quote unquote, meeting room mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. We don't do, I mean, community looks a lot different than it did even, you know, 36 months ago uh, here yeah. in the culture right now. Talk about why the, the creative process should be leading us into more of a communal type of existence and why that's really what God's intent is. Well, the purpose of creativity is to serve the community, period. And uh, you can look through scripture and you see all of the, all of the, the most kind of the high points of creativity in scripture, like the building of the tabernacle or the building of the temple. Those were, those were community uh, endeavors. Uh, you have uh, this amazing person, Bezalel, who, is uh, able to teach, you know, how to weave and how to tie the knots and how to dye the curtains and how to do the woodworking and how to build the ark. He's this incredible person uh, who um, instructs all of these crafts, craftsmen on how to build a tabernacle. Um, so it's a, it's a community thing. And, it, and one of the most deliberate things Jesus does is create communities. He creates three communities that we know of, the three, the 12, and the 70, Mm -hmm. And and the purpose of those communities, of course, is to spread the good news of the kingdom. But even that's an exercise of the imagination. I mean, how can I how can I want people to be a, to want to be a part of? Or how can I can I um, um, how can I make people want to be a part of this kingdom of God that's come? That's the central part of Jesus' message. And uh, again, that's an exercise of the imagination. Um, I don't want to sound like everything's about the imagination, but so much of the gospel is about recapturing the imagination and communicating to the imagination and, and, and shaping the message of the good news so that people will realize it really is good news. Mm -hmm. It really is good news. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, especially in the world that we're living in right now, where mm -hmm. it's evident, you know, that there's sin and there's death and there's, but God's redemptive uh, redemption plan is in effect. I mean, it's, it's happening now. And it's, I, I think that's why we see so much division in the culture. Um, Michael Card is with me today here on the bottom line, scribbling in the sand, Christ and creativity is the name of the brand new book. It's up at the bottom show.com more to come in just a moment as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but it has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Michael Card is with me today here on The Bottom Line, Scribbling in the Sand, Christ and Creativity is the name of the brand new book. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, when I think of the creative process, and thank you for expanding that to say, don't just think about music or paintings or, you know, whatever it is, but the, the things yeah. that God is doing, the, 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 the Ephesians too, right? I mean, the works that we were created to do. The idea that there is a goal toward them, community, but then also there's a purpose for what we're creating. And, and if God is creating something new in the same way he created the heavens and the earth, the creations that mm -hmm. he's creating through us are going to have a redemptive quality and they're going to be beautiful and redeeming and, and wonderful too. Talk yeah. about that, why that hunger really is at the core 
of what we're trying to create if we're doing so in God's economy? Well, I think that hunger for beauty, again, is, is part of the way we, we were created that draws us in to, 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 uh, to want to be part of this process. Um, who was it? Uh, was it? Uh, I can't remember the name of the songwriter. It might have been Noel Paul Stuckey. He wrote this wonderful song called Why Do We Hunger for Beauty? Do you remember that song? I'm not from the 70s, okay. 70, 80. It was a great, great song. But um, um, this, this hunger that we have for beauty, which essentially is a hunger for God, because God is beautiful. You know, he, he's, his, his beauty is perfect. And it, 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 it's meant to resonate. We, we resonate, uh, I think, with, I mean, every time you see a, a beautiful sunset or I was just uh, bush hogging this morning and there were, there were goldfinches. I don't know if you have goldfinches where you live, these bright mm-hmm. yellow little birds that are about this big. And um, I see these, I see that, that kind of beauty in, in, uh, in creation. And there's something in me that resonates, uh, resonates with that because I was created to be hungry, hungry for beauty, mm. which ultimately is something that drives me to the creator. The, mm-hmm. he, he created a beautiful creation, even as fall. I mean, it's a fallen, it's a fallen world, right? What, what we're looking at now is just a shadow of what it's supposed to be. But even the shadow that's left over is something that uh, speaks to us of who he is and, and, uh, and makes me hunger for, for that ultimate beauty that, that God is. And, and again, I'm always going to come back to Jesus, that, that beauty that was, that was reflected in the life, uh, the compelling life of this person who, um, I mean, the, the, this ultimate act of, of loving us and sacrificing himself for us as sort of the ultimate beauty um, to, to me is, is that kind of love. Um, I mean, Jesus is beautiful. What he did for us on the cross is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that kind of becomes then the, the model for us, not that we're all going to get nailed to wood, but rather that the giving of ourselves becomes right. the, 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 there. There's the beauty right there. Right. Wash, washing feet, redemptively giving your life uh, for other people. That that really is. And, and, and again, when you see even small acts of self-sacrifice and servanthood like that, something in you resonates and you say, that's what I was created for. Yes. Yes. Boy, that's uh, it's a powerful visual from Michael Card today here on the bottom line as we're talking yeah. about his new book called Scribbling in the Sand. Christ and Creativity. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You dedicate a chapter in this book, Mike, to the lost art of listening, um, mm-hmm. especially in the t- church. I mean, we're, let's face it. Uh, my wife and I sometimes will go back and forth over. I'll share something with her that happened during the day. Half hour later, she'll say, oh, look, and she'll read the same article to me. And she's like, how, how come I can never keep up with you? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's necessarily keeping up because I do this for a living. So, I mean, I'm uh-huh. reading the curve. But it's a question of, you know, when something's coming at you, she gets hit with so much during the day in her workload that we both have to mm-hmm. take a step back and say, okay, now I am proactively listening to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Talk about in the creative process how that lifestyle for us as Christians means not only are we going to be more creative, but also we're going to hear what God is telling us. Well, uh, it all goes back to Jesus' favorite verse. Uh, three times it happens in the Gospels. Twice he's asked what the greatest commandment is, and he responds with this verse. And a, a third time, someone asks him what the greatest commandment is, and he says, I don't know, what do you think? And, and, and the, the person responds with this verse, and Jesus says, right. And it's Deuteronomy 6, and it, it, it is... Uh, it's Jesus' favorite verse because in one sense, it's everyone's favorite verse in, in Jesus' day in Judaism. And it's, uh, it's, it's called the Shema, which means listen. Listen, Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The great statement of monotheism. So listen is the first mandate. And then the second part of the verse says, and you must love the Lord with all, Lord your God, with all your heart, your soul, and with everything you are. So my, my mentor told uh told me that that what Deuteronomy 6 teaches us is that the best way to love someone is to listen to them. And and so from that, I sort of extrapolate with one of the greatest acts of creativity uh, is to 
is to listen, is to be able to listen because, because people rarely say what they really mean. Um, and so you have to listen what they don't say, which is a very creative thing. If, yes. if you're married, you understand this. Yes. Um, right. And, and I do think, I think we see in the gospels, we think we see Jesus listening to people, uh, uh, opening the door of his life to someone. I mean, um, and in, in prayer, I mean, who does most of the talking? I don't know about your prayer life, but in my mm -hmm. prayer life, I do most of the talking. Right. And I, don't, I don't listen the way I should. And I think, um, so I think that it all comes back to the fact that one of the most creative things we can do is, is, is to love someone by listening to them. Um, and again, that all, it all goes back to the life of Jesus who, who does that and still does that to us. Amen. Michael Card's new book is yeah. called Scribbling in the Sand, Christ and Creativity. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Michael, we have a couple minutes left in our time together, and I'd just love to find out how are you? How's the family? What's God doing in your ministry uh, these days that's going on for, you know, 40 plus years here? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on, I, I'm, I'm finished writing music. I've, I've realized that life is seasonal, mm. and I had a 40-year season of writing songs i wrote about 450 songs i overviewed the whole bible so i feel like i'm kind of done uh i have one more book to write that i'm working on and that is uh it's it's a it's a book on the life of jesus and uh, it's based on the idea of um uh, or it's based on the desire of wanting to know everything that could be known i want to know every detail I can know about Jesus and, 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 and what the details mean. So what languages he speaks, what, what his world is like, what does it mean that he's from Galilee, that sort of thing. And so um, I've started, I've started writing that book. I've been working on it for about three years. I've read 87 books on the life of Jesus in the wow. last three years. Wow. And so I'm, I'm uh, and I'm still so excited about this idea about, you know, what is, uh, just quickly, I'll tell you, I was in, I was in, the, I was in Israel and um, I was talking to a, a, a rabbi and uh, I was trying to impress him with my knowledge of Judaism, which is, is a kind of a stupid thing to do. And I was making the point that, you know, Jesus, Jesus would travel from all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem three times a year for the pilgrimage feasts, uh, even though he didn't have to, because he lived, he lived a farther I think 25 miles in Jesus day was the limit and he lived a hundred miles away, but Jesus still three times a year, he walks all the way to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage feast. And this, so that's a fact about Jesus. And so this rabbi looks at me and he says, well, what does that mean? I said, what do you, what do you mean? He says, <laughs> he said, well, you, what you have to understand is you've got to learn what facts mean. And I said, so, okay, so why don't you tell me? And so this mm -hmm. Jewish rabbi tells me, he said, Jesus spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem. Three months out of every year, he's mm -hmm. walking back and forth to Jerusalem. And that completely blew my mind. So mm -hmm. here was the fact, a fact that I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know what the fact meant. And so, um, and, that, and that happened about four or five years ago. So from that point on, I've tried to um, learn every fact I can know about Jesus and what that means. That's going to be the last time I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be done. I'll spend yeah. the rest of my life just talking about who he is. Wow. I love that. That's the plan. Well, it, it, it's, it's a great plan too. I, I, yeah. I don't want to, I mean, I, I, I think we're contemporaries in terms of age. I've talked to five pastors this past year who are all in their mid seventies. And for the past three years, they've released a book a year. And each one has said, this is the most important book I've ever written. So mm -hmm. I, I hope that if, uh, if God's going to stop writing, then by all means, listen, but uh, if there's still more in there, uh, I, I, I'll be the first one to buy every one you put out. Yeah. That's for well, sure. And, and if God, if God says, here's another idea, I'm, I'm open, but I, I really do feel Roger. It's a, it's a really important idea that life is seasonal, Amen. you know? Amen. And I think, I think one reason why people struggle with marriage is they don't understand that marriage is seasonal. You have winter mm -hmm. times and spring mm -hmm. times and, and, uh, and I'm 65. So, um, I, I finally sort of realized that there, there've been these seasons in my life and, um, and, and I'm, I'm coming towards the end of this last season of creativity. 
that doesn't mean I'm done teaching or, I mean, I, I'm the Wednesday night Bible study guy at my church and uh, I'll, I will do that, you know, and, and, until uh, Jesus comes back. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that, God bless you for knowing yeah. the seasons and understanding them. I and that's good parenting advice, marriage advice, and also just walking with the Lord advice. Michael yeah. Card's brand new book is called Scribbling in the Sand, Christ and Creativity. It's got nothing but five-star reviews on Amazon, and I commend it to you. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mm. Michael Card, uh, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir, for your time and for being thanks. with us today here. On thanks, the Roger. Thanks for giving me, thanks for spending this time with me. It's been great. Wow, what a privilege to have time to talk creativity with Michael Card today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Scribbling in the Sand, Christ and Creativity. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of it to give away to you right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number that gets you through to The Bottom Line. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and my thanks again to Michael Card uh, for giving us such a great insight as to the scribbling in the sand narrative that we find in God's word. Um, the book Scribbling in the Sand, Christ and Creativity is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away a copy right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, to this day, no one really knows what Jesus was scribbling in the sand, and we see it in two different places in scripture. Uh, for all, all intents and purposes, um, you know, it's, uh, was he writing the names of all the people? Was he listing all their sins? Um, one of the things that Mike mentioned, he said, you know, I think we're, we're getting it wrong. The reason we're getting it wrong is we're asking, you know, what was he writing? The real question here is why was he writing? I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was scribbling in the sand. Mike said in the book, he says, it's like art and theater all at the same time, but it was more to it than that. It was what he did not say that spoke most powerfully to the mob that morning. It was a cup of cold water for a thirsty adulteress, an ice-cold drenching in the face of a group of angry Pharisees who were hell-bent on keeping the law but missing what God actually did through that moment. That creativity that God used, that Jesus used. I mean, remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth through his son, Jesus Christ. He created salvation for us through his death on the cross. In, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let's live as creatively as we can. Not that you have to paint and decorate and dance and all that stuff, but rather let God create a new work in you so that others might see him through you. And Matthew 5, we'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's the bottom line. For our KCBC crowd, enjoy the rest of your day and Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's time now for the National Crawford Roundtable. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.